Thank you for joining us at Truth Matters Church. Our deep dive expository study of Revelation has been a continual learning process, requiring us to constantly check and recheck our understanding of the text. Today we go back to the Gospels to look at what Jesus' Olivet Discourse tells us about the seals and judgments we read about in Revelation. We'll use Christ's own words to help us better interpret what will come at the end of this age. Here is Pastor Alex. Having been through our journey for almost going on two years now, if I can have a do-over, right after our Daniel series, we should have went to the Olivet Discourse. Meaning, if I could do it over, I would have done a Daniel series, continued to focus on the visions with end times implications, and then I would have started an Olivet Discourse series taught by our Lord. Because both, I mean, all of Scripture, of course, is important. But as far as Daniel and what our Lord taught, I would argue that apart even from the book of Revelation, which we're studying, Daniel's visions and the teachings of our Lord are the most comprehensive end times prophecy in both the Old Testament and New Testament, respectively. So if you were to look at the Bible as a whole, all 66 books, you're like, okay, out of Holy Scripture, which books or authors has the most details? It's, more, it's the most comprehensive of all end times. Well, it would be Daniel and the teachings of our Lord contained in the Gospels, in particular, the Olivet Discourse account, and of course, the book of Revelation. Do you guys remember how the whole vision started? How did the Revelation start? Who, where did it start? God the Father. God the Father gave the Son this vision. The Son, in turn, delivered it to an angel. And then the angel, in turn, delivered it to John. And he recorded it for us. But we can even say that this revelation, the will of the Father, was fully disclosed to the Son. And the Son, in turn, is disclosing it to us. Which is to say, Daniel and the Lord Jesus and his teachings gives us the most comprehensive details of the end times. So what we're going to be doing today is kind of making up for not doing this in the beginning. So I want to call this, let's call this a makeup study. Hence why we're going to be covering 28 verses. We have a lot of making up to do, but I'll try my best to consolidate where we can. I do have some disclaimers before we get started. Today's study is going to be very heavy, and it's going to be a challenge for us to pay attention and keep up. Do we have coffee here? We should. Anything that'll help us pay attention and keep up. Another disclaimer, it may challenge certain viewpoints we were taught. And something that I've asked of each and every one of us, and me included, is that we exercise patience and that we have an open and teachable heart. Because our goal in this whole thing is to grow in our faith until we are joined with the rest of the redeemed and meet the Lord in the air. Amen? That's why we're doing this. We want to grow in our faith. We want to grow in our understanding of who God is, the relationship in the Godhead, and how that intersects 
with creation and even life and how this faith that we've received, which is more precious than gold, can continue to be refined and grow in maturity. So we're taking steps towards that goal, especially now that we're taking this journey together in the book of Revelation. So for our tangential study today, I'd like for us to look at the Olivet Discourse concerning the end times given by the Son of God himself. And for our key passage today, as far as the Olivet Discourse is concerned, it's recorded in Luke's Gospel and Matthew's Gospel, in Luke 21 and Matthew 24. We're going to be primarily using Luke's account as we continue in this particular study. And one of the reasons why I pick Luke, for those of us we may know, Luke was not only a doctor, but he was a historian. When you try to harmonize the Gospels, not all Gospel writers write it in a chronological order. However, Luke, he writes a detailed account as a historian, and he does so in chronological order. So if there was any jumbling of the Gospels, Luke is a good foundation to keep the order of things. That's why I'm drawn to Luke. But we're going to integrate Matthew's account so that we have a complete picture of this great Olivet Discourse. So here's the goal of our study today. I want us to answer these four questions. I want us to see what our Lord meant when he said, the days will come when the temple will be destroyed. Hence the title of this study, The Days Will Come. Another question I want us to answer, ascertain what temple was he referring to? Third question I want us to answer, ascertain, he mentions of a sign. What is the sign that he was pointing to? And then lastly, where does that sign fall with respect to the breaking of the first seal? Because we just concluded our study in the breaking of the first seal. We didn't get too far, but we're like, okay, here's what our Lord taught. How does that fall in the breaking of the first seal? With at least in, as, as far as a big picture goes, and we'll save that for the end. But this is our goal. But it's going to take a lot of heavy lifting to get here. So without further ado, let us get acquainted with our text for today. We will be reading Luke's account of the Olivet Discourse in Luke 21. And we'll first read the first seven verses. And he looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. He, speaking of Christ. And he saw a poor widow putting in two small copper coins. And he said, truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all of them. For they all out of their surplus put into the offering, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had to live on. And while some were talking about the temple, that it was adorned with beautiful stones and votive gifts, he said, as for these things which you're looking at, the days will come in which there will not be left one stone upon another which will not be torn down. They questioned him saying, teacher, when therefore will these things happen, and what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And before we get to our Lord's response, I want to point out something that our Lord said in the prior verse concerning the temple. Verse 6, our Lord said there, 
He said, as for these things which you are looking at, the days will come in which there will not be left one stone upon another which will not be torn down. I want to ask us a question for those of us who've you know, maybe studied this particular text. What is often taught here when it says, the days will come in which there will not be left one stone upon another which will not be torn down. What's the majority opinion or teaching out there? Does anyone want to speak up? 80-70. 80-70. What is widely taught and accepted is that our Lord was foretelling and alluding to the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of the second temple in 70 AD under Titus. And I want to say this up front. That is a true and that is a historical fact. And is that part of God's judgment? Yes, of course. When they cried for our Lord's blood and when Pilate tried to release him and they pressured Pilate to continue with prosecuting him and crucifying him, they even uttered the words, let his blood be in our heads and the heads of our children. What happened in their destruction in 70 AD is true, it's historically verified, and it is part of God's judgment. Here's my question. Was the destruction of the second temple what our Lord was referring to? And from here on out, we're going to investigate this and we're going to exposit our text further. So let's look at verse 7. They questioned him saying, Teacher, when therefore will these things happen? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? These things are plural. Does anyone want to venture to guess what these things in context are referring to? And I'll give us a hint. They were talking about it. They were looking and pointing at it. Speaking of the the temple. More technically, I want Matthew to, to call that out. Let's look at Matthew 24, verses 1 through 3. Jesus came out from the temple and was going away when the disciples came up to point out the temple buildings to him. And he said to them, Do you not see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone will be here will be left upon another which will not be torn down. Here's a very important fact. These things are the temple buildings. So let's incorporate that in our key verse. And what will help us is, I'll take the original, which is up top here, and then I want us to incorporate what these things are. So originally it said, they questioned him saying, Teacher, when therefore will these things happen? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? Now that we saw what it was in context, let's amplify this verse. They question him saying, Teacher, when therefore will the destruction of the temple buildings happen? And what will be the sign when the destruction of the temple buildings are about to take place? A little more clear, isn't it? And I want us to do the same thing for Matthew 24, verse 3. As he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. We already looked at 
the context on what these things are, and it's the destruction of the temple building. So let's reread this verse with that insertion. As he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, when will the destruction of the temple buildings happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age are about to take place? So not only are they asking, when are the destruction of the temple buildings about to take place? When is your coming and the end of the age also about to take place? And I want to put this both side by side now. Luke's account. They question him saying, Teacher, when therefore will the destruction of the temple buildings happen? And what will be the sign when the destruction of the temple buildings are about to take place? And here's Matthew. As he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will the destruction of the temple buildings happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age are about to take place? So it's a pretty straightforward and clear narrative. Jesus' disciples pointed out to him the temple buildings, that it was adorned with beautiful stones and votive gifts. Jesus, in response, he said he spoke of its destruction. The the days will come when not one stone will be left upon another. Then the disciples asked him privately, when will the temple buildings be destroyed? And what will be the sign of his coming and of the end of the age are about to take place? I say that to say this. Here's the case in point. The destruction of the temple buildings our Lord spoke of is after the sign he's about to give them. Let me say it another way. A specific sign starts, let's call this this prophetic clock signaling the destruction of the temple buildings, his glorious return, and the end of the age are about to take place. Did you catch that? They asked him, when will the destruction of the temple buildings, when will they take place, or when is it about to take place? What sign lets us know that that's about to happen? And he goes on to give them a sign, meaning that the destruction of the temple must be after the giving of the sign because the sign comes first before that happens. So here's my question. What sign is that? And to find out, let's see our Lord's response in Luke 21, verse 8 and following. And I'm going to also integrate Matthew's account. And I want to give us another disclaimer here. This is where we're going to get into some heavy lifting. So out of the hours I mentioned to you earlier. This is where I spent a lot of it. As I'll be integrating both Matthew 24 and Luke 21 together, and I'm going to try my best not to overwhelm you, but I do understand that it's about to get really heavy and challenging, but I'll try my best to ease into it. So let's look at Luke 21 in its original. Verse 8, and he said, see to it that you are not misled For many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is near. Do not go after them. When you hear of wars and disturbances, do not be terrified, for these things must take place first, but the end does not follow immediately. Then he continued by saying to them, Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be great earthquakes, and in various places, plagues and famines. And there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. So what I want to do from here 
to help us, I'm going to start to amplify this verse. And in order to help us, I'm going to start labeling things, and you'll see where this is going. So, and I'm also going to integrate Matthew. So I'm going to read the same passage by labeling it and integrating Matthew. You ready? Here we go. This is the same passage. And he said, See to it that you are not misled, for many will come in my name saying, I am he, I am the Christ. The time, and the time is near. Let's call that sign number one. He warns, do not go after them. When you hear of wars and disturbances, wars and rumors of wars, let's call that sign number two. He warns, do not be terrified. For these things must take place first, but the end does not follow immediately. Then he continued by saying to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Let's call that sign number three. And there will be great earthquakes in various places. Let's call that sign number four. And in various places, plagues and famines. Let's call that sign number five. And there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. And let's call that sign number six. He's starting to give them this sign, and he goes on by giving us, at least in these first three verses, four verses, six signs. And what our Lord said, he said that these first six signs, he goes, these are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Okay? I'm going to put this together at the end. But we're going through our diligence. Why is this important? Because we're studying Revelation. We're studying the breaking of the seals, which is a study of what's going to happen towards the end of time and the end of the age. And our Lord here is giving us descriptions that are also towards the end time, as we will see. That's why we're going through this. We're going to see where does our Lord's teaching on this great Olivet Discourse, where does it fall in the book of Revelation? And where does it fall with respect to Daniel's prophecies with all this foundation that we've been laying? So let's continue with our passage, Luke 21, verse 12. This is unamplified, so let's just read it, and then we will do the same thing. Before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and will persecute you, delivering you to the synagogues and prisons, bringing you before kings and governors for my name's sake. It will lead to an opportunity for your testimony, so make up your minds not to prepare beforehand to defend yourselves. I'll give you utterance and wisdom which none of your opponents will be able to resist or refute. But you will be betrayed even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. And you will be hated by all nations because of my name, yet not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognize that her desolation is near. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains, and those who are in the midst of the city must leave, and those who are in the country must not enter the city, because these are days of vengeance, so that all things which are written will be fulfilled. Woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days, for there will be great distress upon the land and wrath to this people." 
and they will fall by the edge of the sword and will be led captive into all the nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. There will be signs and sun and moon and stars and on the earth dismay among nations in perplexity at the roaring of the sea and the waves, men fainting from fear and the expectation of the things which are, about, which are coming upon the world for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. But when these things begin to take place, Straighten up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Are you ready to amplify this passage? We're going to do the same thing. He said a lot. But if we label the unique descriptions and just give it a label, it's going to help us frame this at the end. So we're going to do the same. We're going to label it because we came up with at least six distinctive signs in birth from verses 8 through 11. From now 9 and following, let's continue to label all of these unique sign events and also integrate Matthew. So here we go. You ready? Pick it up again in verse 12. He said, but before all these things, before the first six signs, here our Lord is talking what's applicable to the disciples. Before those six signs that I just told you about, He's telling them what's going to happen to them. They will lay their hands on you and will persecute you, delivering you to the synagogues and prisons, bringing you before kings and governors for my name's sake. It will lead to an opportunity for your testimony. Isn't this exactly what happened to Paul? He goes, so make up your minds not to prepare beforehand to defend yourselves, for I will give utterance and wisdom which none of your opponents will be able to resist or refute. And isn't that what happened with Stephen? The wisdom and power of Stephen that they couldn't withstand what he was telling them because he was preaching the Old Testament to them. He goes, but after that time, okay, now after that, you will be betrayed even by your parents. He's getting into prophecy now even more. But it's not even ahead of them. He says, but after that time, you will be betrayed even by parents and brothers and friends, and they will put some of you to death They will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you and you will be hated by all because of my name. At that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another and you will be hated by all because of my name. Let's call that sign number seven. That's a big one. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. Let's call that for now sign number eight yet not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. There's more. We've got eight, eight at least distinctive signs so far. Let's continue on verse 20. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognize that her desolation is near. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, let's call that sign number nine. 
Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains, and those who are in the midst of the city must leave, and those who are in the country must not enter the city, because these are days of vengeance, so that all things which are written will be fulfilled. Woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. There will be great distress upon the land and wrath to this people, and they will fall by the edge of the sword and will be led captive into all the nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Let's call that sign number 10. There's a lot of signs and events, isn't there? Verse 25, Then there will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars, and on the earth, dismay among the nations, in perplexity at the roaring of the sea and the waves, men fainting from fear and the expectation of the things which are coming upon the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Let me integrate Matthew. For then there will be great tribulation, such as not occurred since the beginning of the world, until now, nor ever will. Let's call this sign number 11. Then, after that great tribulation, sign number 11, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Let's call this the final sign, number 12. But when all these things, signs number 1 through 12, take place, he goes, straighten up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Folks, that was a mouthful. Can you at least sympathize with me why I spent hours and just, I know right now we, we seems like I'm just reading it. No, that, this was hard because I didn't want to put one account over the other and I had to pay attention to every little word so that I make sure that I group them correctly. And I even had to take out a notepad and connect dots. I'm like, okay, this event is tied to this. When Matthew said this and Luke said this, they're saying the same thing. And I wanted to make sure I kept those groups together and we were labeling them these different signs. So allow me now to sum that up. All of these sign events. Let's call these the 12 signs. Here they are. Sign number one. Many will come in my name saying I am he, I am the Christ, and the time is near. Sign number two. Israel will hear of wars and rumors of wars and disturbances. Sign number three. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Sign number four. There will be great earthquakes in various places. Sign number five. There will be plagues and famines in various places. Sign number six, there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. And as our Lord said, these first six signs are the beginning of birth pangs. So think about it. When a woman is about to give labor, let's say she reaches full term and the baby is ready to come, she starts to get contractions. Doesn't mean she's ready to push. It means that the baby is coming. When these six signs happen, he likens them to birth pangs. He's like, it's about to happen, exactly what they're asking. When is the destruction of the temple going to happen? When is gonna be the, what's going to be the sign of your coming and that the end of the age is near? He said, well, first of all, there's going to be these birth pangs. So pay attention. He goes, this is just the beginning. He goes, but the end is not yet near. 
Let's go on. He says, let's just sign number seven. He goes, you, Israel, will be delivered to tribulation, betrayed even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. Many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another, and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. Sign number eight, many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. Sign number nine, Jerusalem, surrounded by armies, the abomination of desolation will be erected in the temple of God. Sign number 10, many beginning in Judea will fall by the edge of the sword and will be led captive into all the nations and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Sign number 11, there will be signs in sun, moon, and stars and on the earth dismay among nations in perplexity at the roaring of the sea and the waves, men fainting from fear and the expectation of things which are coming upon the world for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then the last and final sign, sign number 12, he goes, every eye will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. As far as the number of 12, in that time spending in both accounts and trying to find a clean break, I so happened to fall under 12 signs. And I'm going to integrate that and depict it, which will hopefully help us understand it a little better. But let's get back to the disciples' main question at hand. In the Great Olivet Discourse, the disciples asked our Lord, I want to call this a loaded question. It was a loaded end times question. Oh, Lord Jesus, oh, by the way, when, when will the temple destruction, you know, when is that going to happen? And when are you coming? And when is the end of the age? That's a pretty loaded question. And they asked him, what will be the sign that these things are about to take place? That would include the destruction of the temple, Jesus' coming, and the end of the age. Here's what we just learned. Our Lord didn't give them a single sign, but at least 12 distinctive signs and events. Here's my question. What gives? They asked him for a sign, and he goes on to give them what we at least categorized as 12 different signs. What gives? Here's the truth. I'm going to give us the truth first. The sign are the 12 signs. It's our Lord's entire response. They asked the Lord Jesus privately when he said, oh, you, you're, you're, you're pointing out the temple and how beautiful it is and the, and the votive gifts. He goes, the days will come when one not stone, one stone will be left upon another. And then they came to him privately saying, when is that about to take place? And what is the sign of your coming and at the end of the age? And he answers their question. And he gives them at least 12 signs. So what I'm deducing is the sign is the 12 signs. It's the entire thing. And they say, this, be careful what you ask for. I think the disciples wanted just one. He goes, okay, it is one, but it's a big one with 12 different subparts. So, okay, if the sign is all 12 signs, 
Then which of those signs will begin the prophetic clock leading to the destruction of the temple, our Lord's return, and the end of the age? You're like, okay. If the sign is his whole response, then which of those will start the domino or the prophetic clock? Because that'll lead to the destruction of the temple that he was talking about, along with his return and the end of the age. Okay, don't get intimidated by this. I so happen to come up with at least 12 different groupings. And there's 12 of them. And this is tied to a prophetic clock or prophecy. I'm like, okay, there's 12 hours in a clock. There's 12 distinctive signs. Let me see if this will help organize this whole thing. So kind of look at it this way. Let's say sign one. Let's just say it's one o'clock on the prophetic clock. Many will come in my name saying, I am he and the time is near. Let's call that one o'clock in God's prophetic clock. Sign number two, let's say that's two o'clock. When you, Israel, hears of wars and rumors of wars and disturbances, do not be alarmed. Okay? Three o'clock. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Four. Four o'clock. There will be great earthquakes in various places. Sign number six. Six o'clock. There will be terrors and great signs in heaven. And I color-coded these because our Lord said that signs one through six are birth pangs. That's why I highlighted them the same color. So if we looked at that part of the clock, let's call that the birth pangs. And those are the signs of the birth pangs. But when we get to sign number seven, let's say seven o'clock on God's prophetic clock, Many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another, and many will be killed and hated by all nations because of my name. So sign number seven is the beginning of Jerusalem's tribulation that we've been learning about. And what follows that? Sign number eight. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. Here is the infamous one, sign number nine. Jerusalem surrounded by armies and the abomination of desolation will be erected in the temple of God. If you kind of look at it at this clock, once that abomination of desolation happens, we're pretty close to the end, aren't we? But when you get to, let's say, sign number 10, many will fall by the edge of the sword and will be led captive into all nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So here I color-coded 7 through 10 as Jerusalem's tribulation. Then after that, sign number 11, there will be signs in sun, moon, and stars And on the earth, dismay among nations, in perplexity at the roaring of the sea, and waves men fainting from fear, and the expectation of the things which are coming upon the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And this is the great tribulation. This is the global tribulation that often gets mucked up with Jerusalem's tribulation or even the church that's been experiencing tribulation since the first century. But that 11th sign 
is the great global tribulation. And can't you read it in itself? Isn't that a global tribulation? There will be signs in the sun, moons, and stars, and the earth dismay among nations in perplexity at the roaring of the seas and the, and the waves and men fainting from fear and expectation of the things which are coming upon the world. Why? Because the powers of the heavens will be shaken. This isn't just Jerusalem. This is the powers of the heavens will be shaking, shaken. And then when we get to the last, let's say if that was 12 at midnight, every eye will see the Son of Man coming in the cloud with power and great glory. Hopefully this helps. The disciples asked him for the sign. He gave them this. Okay. Let me ask us a question. I kind of showed the answer there. I'm going to go back to the previous slide. Which of those 12 signs will begin the prophetic clock leading to the destruction of the temple, our Lord's return, and the end of the age? And you kind of saw it. No? What's going to start this prophetic clock? What is that? False messiahs. How about one o'clock? The very first hour of this, let's just say, prophetic clock. You have to start somewhere. Why not start in the beginning? Let's start at one. So it would start there. But this is the end clock that our Lord gave His disciples on that Olivet Discourse. And we're studying the seals, then it will be followed by the trumpets, then it will be followed by the bulls. How does that fit with what our Lord said and with what Daniel saw in his several visions that he had? But if that was the starting point, if sign number one, Many will come in my name saying, I am he, I am the Christ, and the time is near. When will this prophetic clock end? Exactly. It'll finish there. Can you get to 12 finish without all these other things happening? No. And this is why Paul said, don't, don't be shaken by some letter purported to be from, you know, from us that somehow the day of the Lord has come. For the day of the Lord can come unless the apostasy happens first and the man of lawlessness is revealed. Does anyone want to venture to guess when the apostasy begins in this? One o'clock. That has to happen first. It starts in Israel. That's why when he says, when they're in the wilderness and they say, here he is, there he is, he goes, don't go, don't be misled. That starts the clock. Okay? Now, here's my case in point. When sign one takes place, the prophetic clock begins, and signs two through 12 must happen. Okay? Before he comes. And when Jesus said the days will come in which there will not be left one stone upon another which will not be torn down, Here's where I'm getting at. He wasn't referring to the, sample, the second temple destroyed in 70 AD. He was referring to a future temple, let's call it the third temple, that will be alive and well and in Jerusalem in the end times. Now how can I say that with certainty? How can you say, wait, what do you mean he's not talking about AD 70? Well, for starters, the abomination of desolation It's part of the sign, isn't it? Sign number nine? It's part of the sign, which is made up of these ten signs. Was Jerusalem surrounded by armies and the abomination of desolation was erected in the temple of God and did the man of lawlessness appear, arrive on the scene and declared himself to be God and worshipped? No. That 
is part of the sign, and that alone places the destruction of the temple that he was talking about, not in 70 AD, but it must be in the end. And this is consistent with Daniel, our Lord Jesus, and what Paul, and what we'll soon find out, what John here in Revelation spoke of. So here I try to put it side by side. Here's what Daniel spoke of concerning that ninth sign. Daniel eleven thirty one. Forces from him will arise, desecrate the sanctuary fortress, and do away with the regular sacrifice. And they will set up the abomination of desolation. By smooth words, he will turn to godlessness, those who act wickedly toward the covenant, but the people who know their God will display strength and take action. Here's what our Lord said. We just read. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of of Daniel right there on the left, Standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. And here's Luke's parallel account. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognize that her desolation is near. And here's what Paul wrote. In 2 Thessalonians 2, let no one deceive you in any way. For it, the day of the Lord, will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself over every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God. It wasn't that temple that was destroyed in 70 AD. Displaying himself as being God. Folks, our Lord wasn't alluding to the destruction of 70 A.D. But when he said, when he wept over them, and he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I long to gather you as a hen, but you would not. See, your, lo- your house has left you desolate. He was definitely prophesying it there. You can say that there. But when it comes to what his disciples asked him concerning the destruction of the temple buildings, his return, and the end of the age, there's going to be another destruction that will occur. And you'll notice here in, Reve- in John's, I didn't put where his vision falls because I'm going to tell you the end of the movie right now. I'll say this. Before this study, I was like, man, where did the abomination of desolation fall in John's vision? And thankfully, because of this study, I can say it with a higher degree of confidence. Here it is. But you're going to have to stay with me for that. Stay with us for that. So here's in closing. Actually, that wasn't too bad, was it? Here was the goal of our study today. We wanted to see what our Lord meant when he said the days will come when the temple will be destroyed, a certain what temple he was referring to, a certain sign he was pointing to, and then lastly, where does that sign fall with respect to the breaking of the first seal? So here's the answer to the first three questions. When our Lord said the days will come when the temple will be destroyed, not one stone will be left upon another, he was referring to the temple that will be in Jerusalem in the last days during what the Bible calls the period of the final indignation. It's that period when Israel's sin has reached its climax during their apostasy. Meaning, our Lord was not referring to the destruction of the temple by the hands of Titus in 70 AD. And when our Lord said that the days will come, it includes those days where the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel occurs in that temple, which like the second temple, will too be destroyed and not one stone will be left upon another. Those were the answers to the first three questions. 
How about the answer to the fourth and final question? Where does, that, where does this sign fall with respect to the breaking of the first seal? You know, when I set out these questions, it turned out to be a loaded question for me. Like the disciples, I too should be careful what I ask for. But let's see if we can at least walk through this. Well, we learn that the sign is not a single sign, but a list of all 12 signs. And with that 12 sign being the Son of Man coming in the clouds with power and great glory. So to even attempt answering this question, I want to put the sign, which is all of them, and the breaking of the first seal side by side. Here it is. This was my best effort. So on the left, this is the sign, and it's all, it encompasses all 12. Okay? And the prophetic clock starts... When many will come in my name saying, I am he and I am the Christ and the time is near. And then it goes from there. In the breaking of the first seal, here's what John saw. He says, I looked and behold a white horse. And he who sat on it had a bow and a crown was given to him. And he went out conquering and to conquer. And we know that this is referring to angelic activity. But my question is, how will that angelic activity manifests itself on earth because what happens in the spiritual it's going to manifest itself in the physical so when that first seal is broken and this rider on the white horse that was given a bow and a crown went out conquering and to conquer the clues we have bow and a crown was given to him and his mission was conquering and to conquer out of these 12 signs, which fits best? I'll give you a clue. The breaking of the second seal, a sword was given to him to take peace from the earth. That might be a little... So that's after this first one. Breaking the seal is like starting the clock. Breaking the seal is like starting the clock. Where did the clock start? Number one. But he went out conquering and to conquer. So if you ask me, I think the first two signs that our Lord gave fits the description of the activity of the angel and that horse and how it will manifest itself on earth. Because when nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, when we see the rider on the red horse, that is more descriptive of that sign and following. So let me say this another way. Sign number one, many will come in my name saying, I am he, I am the Christ, and the time is near. Our Lord is quoting this person. Someone is going to say, I am he, I am the Christ, the time is near. Where will that figure arrive? Israel, wherever east is from here. When a figure in Israel claims to be the Christ and says the time is near, our Lord warned, do not be misled. And if we were to look at this breaking of the first seal, it could very well be some sort of crowning of this figure, hailing him as Christ. Now Daniel spoke of a holy covenant. And one of the things I said for us to look out for is a holy covenant between 
Israel and the neighboring nations, a holy covenant. And this isn't the covenant of Moses, but some sort of unification of the faiths that whenever that is inaugurated or accepted, Israel's apostasy has reached its full climax by commingling with other gods. So Daniel, in his vision, when he speaks of this figure, I don't want to call him anti-Christ. I want to call him anti-God because he's going to declare himself to be God. Not just the Christ, but God. And it says he was enraged of the Holy Covenant and he was able to get some support for those who were also against the Holy Covenant. And then it'll turn against the people and nation of Israel. I know this is a lot, but what I'll be doing from here on out, I want to consider our Lord's Olivet Discourse and also integrate that into our learnings of the book of Revelation. I think it's going to be critically important for us if our goal is to try to get this right. Thank you for joining us today at Truth Matters Church. Next time, we'll continue our look into the prophetic implications of Christ's Olivet Discourse as we continue to refine and clarify our understanding of Revelation. As good Bible students, we will approach the Scripture with humility and an open heart to see what the Spirit can tell us through the text. If you've missed any part of our studies, you can find each of them archived on our website, truthmatterschurch.org, or simply search for us on Sermon Audio. We also encourage you to check out our 24-hour ad-free stream of expository Bible teaching, scripture reading, and much more. Available at truthmattersradio.com. That's truthmattersradio.com. Contending for the faith one verse at a time. This is Truth Matters Church.